Welcome to the Equipping Webinar, where we connect discipleship, theology, and apologetics to everyday life. Welcome to the July 2017 version of the Equipping Webinar. My name is Nathan Wagnon. I'm the Director of Equipping and Apologetics here at Watermark, and I get to host this time, which is a, a lot of fun. And always to my right is right. Mrs. Sylvia Bateman. You can call me Sylvia, though. Uh, okay, <laughs> call you Sylvia. Worked enough years. But uh, Sylvia is going to be taking your questions. So Yeah, I look forward to taking y'all's questions. Like Nathan said, this is live, so I can't even bleep or mute Nathan if I wanted to. <laughs> so that's part of the adventure. Exactly. Um, but yeah, look forward to taking your questions. I'm on staff here and help out with stewardship and money-wise. And for our panelists today, we have a couple icebreakers. That's what I'm talking they about. They are not aware of what the questions are. Send it. So I'm going to give two options. The first option is you can either share with us what your walk-up song or what your life song would be <laughs> at this moment. It's a good one. Or you can share with us what you would name your yacht if you had a yacht. If you or if you yacht. have a yacht, you can just share that name and let me know when I can come with you on <laughs> yeah, your yacht. Yeah, if you have a yacht, then yeah. why do I not know about this? <laughs> So Nathan, you want to go first? Yeah, well, I would, I mean, my walk-up song, I think, has always, my go-to has always been Rocky IV, uh, The Eye of the Tiger. Oh, okay. you totally have it. <laughs> Whatever. You did. You took Scott's. Yeah. Scott's. <laughs> now I've got to tell you the name of my yacht. Apparently. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, or your spouse's walk-up song. You could choose that, that for them, yeah, that too. Could, that I could work as well. Marriage-themed. The voice you're hearing is Scott Kadersha. Scott is on staff here at Watermark. He is the director of Marriage Ministries. And uh, Scott, we, we really appreciate you jumping in with us today. But tell us a little bit about yourself and also answer Sylvia's question. Yeah, so Scott Kadersha, married mm -hmm. to Kristen for about almost 16 years. We've got four boys, twins that are 13, a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. We've been at Watermark for about 16, almost 15 years now. Well. Wow. Love being here, and I serve on the marriage team, director of marriage ministry. I'll tell you a little bit more about what that means in yeah. a few minutes. Yeah. So uh, wait, have you been at Watermark longer than Watermark has existed? No, I'm 15 years. <laughs> Watermark's 17 and a half. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just poking fun at how young We've we are. We've actually been yeah. at Watermark for 39 years. The meetings we used to have all by ourselves. <laughs> Anyway. Right, and uh, I, mean, I kid you not, my walk of music, I was just talking to one of my coworkers a couple of days ago and I said, hey, if I had to, like my theme music to get me pumped up yeah. is, is either a song by an artist that would not be appropriate to share. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a candy named Eminem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since yeah I would yeah. not listen to that one. <laughs> it's Eye of the Tiger. So it just yeah. shows my age, but that, that would be my Bro, song. hey, great minds think alike, yes. man. I love it. Yes. Well, hey, our other uh, guest panelist today is Sarah Fultz. Sarah, hey. used to to be on staff here. I did. And uh, because you I changed industries. Yeah, that's what right. Happened? You're you're growing family <laughs> and uh, when you started having your babies, then you transitioned off staff and now but now you've served on the you used to serve on the marriage team in a full-time capacity. But now you've you've, you've now I do it for free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you've let in merge, and then now you guys are all are leading lead uh, foundation groups. Foundation now. groups, yeah, the, the young so, yeah. married communities. Yep. So I'm Sarah. I've been married to um, just the best human I know, David, for about eight years. Um, yeah, used to went to SMU, then came right on staff after I graduated, and got to spend a lot of fun years here. But then had my had my first baby in 2012, and so now we have three boys. We have Truman, who's four. Cohen is two, and Deacon, our little one, is nine months 
today. Nice. Special boy. Get your hands full. I do. Um, you guys feel, I feel like y'all have thought about your walk-up song <laughs> more than the average person. Um, so I can't come, I can't come up with one real fast like that, but my, but I bet you thought about yachts. Um, so I, so my grandfather used to have not yachts, but little just fishing boats and he had multiple and all of them were a version of yak yak. So it was yak yak one or yak yak two. Nice. So my yacht, my fancy, fancy yacht <laughs> would be called, could be called yak yak. Yak yak. Four, I love that. Yak yak oh one, God. yak yak, like Forrest Gump. He names all of them Jenny. Jenny. Yeah, Jenny one. That's oh. cool. Well, hey, uh, today we are going to be talking about marriage and the two ministries that we want to highlight for you guys. The first one on the left there is called Merge. And Merge is our premarital ministry. When I went back, when I went through it back in the day, it was just called the premarital class. Since then, we've come up with more trendy mm-hmm. names like Merge. But uh, that is our our ministry to premaritals who are uh, either seriously dating or con- considering marriage. The other one on the right is called Reengage, and Reengage is just our marriage enrichment ministries. The way we kind of market it to people is, hey, if your marriage is at a one or a zero, you know, which sometimes that's where it is, and you want to get out of that ditch, then this is great for you. Or if your marriage is a seven and you you're trying to improve it to a nine, this is also for you. So Reengage meets every single Wednesday night in the loft here at the Dallas campus at six thirty. So want to make those available to you. So, Scott, why don't you just let us know, like, what does a marriage team do here at Watermark? Yeah, so most churches don't even have a marriage team, let alone a ministry or anything like that. A lot of churches will just say, if you're married, there's not a lot we can really do for you. Just come on a Sunday, maybe go to Sunday school or a small group. Mm -hmm. We're very fortunate here. We have a really robust marriage ministry. And what we try to do here and encourage other churches to do is to think through couples in all stages of their relationship. And so, you know, if you're a young adult and you're single, if you're in college, we want you to go to college ministry. We've got the porch for young adults. But then as soon as you start getting in that seriously dating, uh, you know, so that doesn't mean you're on date three or four. But if you're thinking about putting a <laughs> ring on it or if you're engaged, we want you to come to a ministry that, that we call Merge that Nathan just talked about. It's for couples to help prepare them for marriage. And so we've got a great ministry for pre-marriage. We've got a ministry for newlyweds. And so newly married ministry goes from like, it's just theoretical on the pre-married side to now we're living together mm-hmm. and we got to figure this stuff out. And so it's not theoretical. Now it's actually real. Yeah, the rubber alive. is on the road. Yeah, yeah. the bullets yeah. are flying. Yeah. I mean, this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is legit. Okay. And so, so we're helping them transition from single life to married life. We call that foundation groups. And we encourage churches to think through what do you do to help establish you're newlywed, so they're really building their life on, on a very solid foundation. Uh, the third thing we try to do is we enrich marriages, and so we do that in a bunch of ways around here. Sunday mornings, community group, we do date nights, marriage conferences, anything that we could do to help a couple grow in their marriage. And so that's that's the one you just mentioned, Nathan, you know, that seven out of ten, and we just want to grow in our marriage. That's mm-hmm. any one of us that's, that's around this table right now of how do we grow our marriage. Yep. And then the one, you know, another one that we love is, is just what happens when the wheels fall off, when you need to be restored or resurrected in your mm-hmm. marriage. And so we encourage churches to think through, what are you doing to help when a couple is in crisis? And mm-hmm. so we started reengage in 2007 or eight around here, and it's become an incredibly safe place for couples to work on their marriage when they're hopeless, when divorce papers are in hand, when they just need a, a little kick in the pants, whatever it might be. Yeah, I just read a, an amazing Facebook post yesterday from a couple that 
is about to finish re-engage. And, you know, she said they were a one out of 10 when they started. He said a five out of 10, which is pretty typical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one, not on the same yeah. page. Yeah. Either like more optimistic or probably more clueless would be the better way to say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, guys. Yeah. And they just finished up and they're you know, about to finish up and they both rated their marriage like an eight out of 10. Hmm. And so just to see that story of the couple go from hopeless and kind of young kids, hmm. they go from a one out of 10 or a five out of 10 to really saying, we love each other. We're an eight out of 10. And so re-engage is another part of what we do to help couples that are really in crisis or just want to grow in their marriage. Yeah. And if I could add a few years ago, our, our community group did this marriage assessment thing that one of the guys here on staff pushed out to everybody. And when we finished the marriage assessment, we were kind of like, hey, I, I don't think we're on the same page in, in all the ways that we should be. And so uh, my community group went through reengage. And one of the things I want to point out and the reason that I want to uh, push it over to you as well, Sarah, is is that uh, so much of what we do here is from a staff perspective is we cast vision and we empower. But the actual ministry belongs to people like Sarah, who's not on staff, but is still sitting here helping to equip our body. And I mean, that, that was such a, as a staff person sitting in a ministry being led by a solid couple who is not in vocational ministry, but they are doing the work of the ministry, which is such a, a real value for us here that we don't have a marriage ministry so that we can do marriage ministry. We have a marriage ministry so that we can cast vision, lead, guide, and equip other people to do marriage ministry. So I think like what you're saying, I think that um, just adds, I don't know, maybe just texture and believability to the fact that like you can have a good marriage. If you see people like real people who are not in vocational marriage, if you're walking through them and they're leading you authentically and telling mm-hmm. you like, Hey, this used to be a struggle or this currently is a struggle mm-hmm. and this is what we're doing. That's what gives people the hope and just the vision, the goal of like, okay, this is a real couple. This isn't someone who works at a church, which sometimes that can, you know what I mean? People can totally. be like, you're a different class of person. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. They can, which isn't true, but that's what they can believe. And mm-hmm. so it's just, I feel like you nailed it. It's, it's the equipping, it's casting the vision and equipping people to really get in there in the trenches with other people in our body and help them move forward and just really enjoy each other and enjoy marriage. And live up to everything that God has intended for them in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of what God has intended for marriage, um, and I will say this to preface what I'm about to say, this webinar is not a webinar on the same-sex marriage issue, right? Mm-hmm. So typically, especially when this conversation comes up, that's one of the kind of hot topics that people jump in on. So uh, we have done a response to same-sex issues. It's a webinar we did last year with Hope Harris and we have equipping classes that we've taught on uh, the kind of the meaning of marriage and what is marriage from a biblical standpoint. And so I would refer you to those things as you're, uh, if you're asking those questions, but it is always helpful when we're talking about these things to start with a baseline definition. What are we working off of? And I would just say that from a biblical standpoint, when God created everything, right, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. He, he's Everything is born, right? He, he, he breathes these things into being out of nothing. And out of his creation, he creates the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth. And then out of the earth, he creates you and me. And he created a man in his own image. So there, this is the pinnacle of his creation. And yet he's looked at man, looking at Genesis 1, 26 to 28, he looks at man and has a purpose for him to rule over the world and to fill the earth and to subdue it. From a biblical standpoint, 
our purpose in a very real sense is to act as God's under ruler on his earth that he's created. And he looked at man, uh, given the, that's the purpose that God created Adam for his glory to act in the, this type of way. He looked at man and was like, hey, you are incomplete. There is something that's lacking in you. And, and I think this is clear in Adam too. You look at the rest of the of creation and water and fish, right? And land and animals and the animals are paired together. And, mm-hmm. and Adam is looking around at all this and he's like, yo, Lord, what's up? Man? Like, where is... Where's, where's the other part of me? So there's something that's that's lacking there. And so the Genesis account says that the Lord caused Adam to go into a sleep and then he takes a rib out of him. And, and from that, he creates woman and brings her to Adam. And Adam exclaims, as probably any man would, who's finding the other half of him. Now, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Like he's excited about this. And because the Lord had a purpose for him to fill the earth and subdue it, there is a there's a biological function and purpose for marriage and procreation. God said, fill the earth. And then Adam was alone, so he could not fill the earth. And so the Lord brings someone who is like him of the same kind, who's able to help him. The Hebrew word there is azer, to help him to accomplish what he lacked in his ability to do by himself. Now, on a biological level, I mean, that, that can sound really maybe cold, like, okay, you just need this person for sex so that you can procreate. But it goes deeper than that, because in Genesis 2, where it talks about this more specifically, it says the two became one flesh. And this one flesh become begets unpacked throughout Scripture, where it talks about the mystery of the union there. So it's more than just it is a biological function, but it's more than a biological function. There's a, there's an emotional element to it. There's a spiritual element to it. There's a there's a permanence of this one flesh. And then Jesus shows up in Matthew 19 and is like, hey, guys, you have heard that said from the beginning that a man and woman are going to come together and the two will leave their father and mother and become one flesh. What God has joined together, here's the permanence of it. Don't ever separate that. Right. So there is this this unity of a man and a woman who become a father and a mother to any children their union may produce. And Jesus looks at that and he's like, this is the created order. It's the way that God created it. And also that that's good. It was very good. So don't separate that. And then you have other passages like, like Ephesians five, where Paul begins to connect this reality of the unity of marriage to the mystery of Christ and the church. And so this is not just a, okay, yeah, now you can fill the earth and now you have companion. No, we're imaging like we were created in the image of God. Now we're imaging God in a fuller way. Now we're imaging Christ and the church. And I think for that, there's nothing like it is a good way to say it. And I'll make one more point and then I'll push it over to you, Scott. But this point is this, is sometimes the word azer, which is the word helper in Hebrew, kind of gets thrown around a little bit. Like the woman is just there for the man to like make his coffee in the morning and be his be his mm-hmm. object of pleasure and stuff like that. The problem with that view, which are many, but the, the main one is the word azer is multiple times throughout scripture ascribed to God himself, right? God is our azer. God is the one who is helping us, completing us, empowering us to be what what by ourselves we could never be. And so against kind of the, oh yeah, and biblical marriage is always like suppressing women and stuff like that. Actually, quite the contrary to that. This is the exaltation of women to be everything that God created them to be and a full recognition of that. 
is uh, is a required if we're going to understand marriage from a from a, a biblical standpoint. So I wanted to just gloss over that from a biblical theology standpoint. What does the Bible teach about this? There's so much more to say, but mm-hmm. we can just start there, okay? Yeah. And then now, if that is what marriage is, then what are the aspects of marriage that make marriage marriage? Yeah, it's good. Hey, one one other thought on that, yep. Nathan. I'm yep, so glad please. you said that. That the whole idea of the helper. Mm-hmm. It is so often misunderstood. Yep. Exactly. Go get me my coffee, do my laundry, yeah, yeah. you know, do uh, make dinner for me. That That is a gross misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And really, in many ways, it's almost an abuse of what God designed, a beautiful thing. You know, I was yep. just talking to my wife and some friends yesterday. This idea of the helper, like no one become, helps me become more like Christ than, than my wife, mm-hmm. Kristen. Mm-hmm. Part of the role that she plays as a helper is that she helps me become more like Jesus by encouraging me, challenging me, telling me when I fall short, when I'm not a great husband or friend or daddy to my boys. She's going to be the first one to help me become more like Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things we've got to do is just make sure people understand what a what a Christ-like role the wife plays. It's not just that the man loves his wife like Christ loved the church. It's a Christ-like role for the husband. But it also is 100% equally for the wife. Now, the roles are different, mm-hmm. but it's a Christ-like role regardless. So yeah. I'm re- really glad you said that. Well, and I think, too, so the tagline for this ministry is connecting discipleship, theology, and apologetics to everyday life. And some people might be like, well, what, is, what does marriage have to do with any of those things? Well, I think primarily because the way that Jesus has discipled me probably as deeply as any other expression of discipleship is through my marriage. Jesus has used my wife and my life to press in on me in in ways that, frankly, I don't even think maybe even were possible outside of that relationship with her. And so she is truly an expression of the work of the Holy Spirit to conform me into the image of Christ. And I don't like it all the time, (laughs) (laughs) but it is that, yeah. Good. So what makes marriage marriage? So several thoughts, and, and this came from everything you just shared, Nathan, you know, Matthew 19, 3 through 6, mm-hmm. Genesis 2, 24, 25, Ephesians 5, 21, 22 through 33. A couple of things we see in there over and over again, we see this phrase of marriage is one, oneness mm-hmm. or one flesh. It's not a word we use often. And so w- what does that mean? Well, there's a couple aspects of it. One, there's physical oneness. And so that is the Physical intimacy, sexual intimacy, you know, when when Adam and Eve were together for the first time, they didn't need pornography to show them what to do. Nobody had to have the birds and the bees talk. They just Mm -hmm. knew when it was right and it was good. Mm -hmm. You know, out in the middle of nature with, I mean, it's weird in some ways to (laughs) us, but in the middle of nature and it's, it's not weird. It's a beautiful thing the way that God designed it and intended it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's no question, like when he was, when he was asleep in that deep sleep and wakes up and sees that woman. And it is, it is like, at last, there is bone in my bone, flesh in my flesh. Mm-hmm. I, I like that song, at last. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's your walk-up song. song. That <laughs> is my walk-up Your song. new one. Yeah. I don't know who sings it. It's a <laughs> song. <laughs> like, you get that. He's like, there, there is someone amazing, beautiful, like me, not like me in some ways. And so physical intimacy is part of oneness. There's emotional intimacy. The man and the woman were with one another. They were naked and there was no shame. Mm. And so the way that God designed marriage is that we should be able to be emotionally intimate with our spouse, mm. that I shouldn't have to hide things or be afraid. Or th- there's some things I would share with you guys, some things I'd share live right now that I'm more comfortable sharing. Mm-hmm. There are some things that I'm going to share with my wife that 
that most people in the world are not going to know my yep. insecurities, my fears, mm -hmm. my dreams and hopes. And so there's this emotional intimacy that's incredible. Mm -hmm. That's part of oneness. It's permanent. And so it's different than any other relationship around. You know, mm -hmm. when a man and a woman become one flesh, it's a it's a picture of God's love for us. It's this covenant relationship that's intended to be unbreakable and unconditional. And so we have a lot of other relationships in our life, friendships, work relationships. Those aren't necessarily permanent, but marriage is God designed that what makes marriage marriage is that it's a permanent relationship. It, it's a picture of, of Christ's love for the church. It's different again than any other relationship. We see that in Ephesians 5 and that it models the way that he loves us, the sacrificial, selfless love. It's a companionship of just getting to be with one another, having fun, a best friend. My wife and I love to watch college football together. That's kind of one of our things. And that's less than 60 days away. I, I don't know. <laughs> I know. Who's, who's counting, counting, right? <laughs> uh, but but that companionship, friendship, um, you know, a buddy to be with. It's an amazing gift. That's part of marriage. We get to multiply. And so it's part of God's design. You don't mm -hmm. have to be married to have kids. But in God's ideal, that's the way that he intends it in the ideal situation. It's uh and then that's a, it's a covenant like I mentioned before that you know what makes marriage marriage is that it's a wholly different human relationship than any other relationship on earth. Mm. And so it should create this safety, this oneness, this intimacy that that's um that frankly we don't do a really good job of talking about. Like where the church falls short is that we cheapen marriage on a regular basis. We, uh, we stand by when couples make decisions before marriage that uh, don't honor God and we don't speak up into it. And then when they want to get out of it, we let them do it without really speaking in and helping them. Mm -hmm. So uh, we don't want to see marriage cheapen. It's, it's a beautiful creation. I'm very thankful for it. As you said, God has used marriage in unbelievable ways in my life to help me become more like Christ. And it's a whole lot of fun in ways that we just don't talk about enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Sarah, what would you say as you've been married now for eight years, what are some of those aspects that really make mar your marriage what you would say it is? I was thinking about that as Scott was listing those off. If all of those are goals for us of what makes marriage marriage, I'm going to hit all of these things. Those things deepen and get better over time. Hmm. So none of that, none of what he said is better in the beginning than it is at the end. Does that make sense? Yep. So um, that's one of the special things is about, about marriage. If you're doing it well, if you're fighting for it, it gets better and better mm -hmm. and better mm -hmm. and better. And so just listening to him talk about just that, um, this is your best friend. This is, you have a special relationship. It's different than any other human relationship. I remember within uh, like my first year of marriage being like, this is, I guess, yeah, um, yeah. you know, like I like him a whole lot, but it just yeah. didn't, the wonder of it hadn't hit me yet. Mm. And now eight years in, which isn't, I mean, we've got a long way ahead of us, Lord willing. And so, um, but eight years in, I'm like, oh, I get it now. I mm -hmm. get that that is, um, this oneness just continues to grow and this intimacy just continues to grow. And so, um, so yeah, it just gets better, which is such a sweet promise. Like it's just mm -hmm. such a sweet deal. Cause what else? encounter to culture, right? I mean, everyone thinks that it's better in your in your newlywed days and your honeymoon days. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. If you're fighting, it gets so much better. Yeah, this is like a fine wine, right? Yes. It sits sure. and, yes. and gets better with time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, Preach. Sylvia, like that. Mm. <laughs> I'm pregnant and can't have any wine. <laughs> you're welcome. That's awesome. So if that's what marriage is, and those are some of the things that make kind of marriage, marriage, there is, and it's funny because you, when Sarah, when you mentioned just now, like you get married and you're kind of like, okay, yeah, I guess. 
And you, you almost are, uh, Sylvia, you're, you guys are a year in, right? A year um, and a few months. So it, yeah, it's a, a shock. Okay, there you go. <laughs> It so is, there, it's sweeter. It's, yeah. it's nice. Yeah, but there there is something that kind of hits you, I think, uh, like year one, year two, year three, as you begin to like settle into this thing. And and I think you also start to hit some of these roadblocks that, um, you know, it's funny. I was reading a, a blog post the other day that uh, somebody wrote somebody wrote this blog post and they said, why is everybody saying that marriage is hard? Marriage isn't hard. Marriage is awesome. And then it was funny because the second paragraph, the writer of the blog said, now I know some people are going to say, you're only 10 months into your marriage, but, da, 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 and the rest of her blog post, <laughs> I so wanted to comment and be like, you're only 10 months into your marriage. I'm going to say it, right? Because everybody hits those, everybody hits those roadblocks. Everybody does. Nobody's yeah. exempt. Because when you put two people who individually are fallen and totally depraved and are sinners, putting two sinners together in very close proximity in these very unique ways, sexually, emotionally, um, socially, and all of those things to, to become one, that is not a clean process. And so what are some of the, as you guys have served in marriage ministry, what are some of the common roadblocks that you see people hit on a consistent basis? I feel like one of the biggest examples, especially for my generation, just when the divorce rate just amped up in a crazy, crazy way, we just don't know what it looks like to be done well. In Merge, you know, we, we asked the question yeah. of like, hey, who whose parents are still married? And, you know, maybe mm-hmm. 60% of people raise their hand. But then it's, okay, keep your hand raised if you want a marriage like your parents. And I mean, everybody looks. It is just, you can see straight <laughs> yeah, across yeah, that yeah, room. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, we just don't know what it's like to be done well. There's no good examples. And so, which I think is why. Um, you can get so passionate of being on staff and get so passionate about this is just changing that for the future generations of just like creating these good examples so that, so that our children and people before, behind us have that good example. Yeah. Um, there is a sense of like a bad examples, perpetuating bad examples. Yes. It's a, the people are formed yeah. in a certain way. And so they, they act out of that formation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think it's conscious every mm-hmm. time, but nope. it's just, it's just how it, it, it yeah. Most of it is subconscious. Most of it, we have no idea what we're doing. Right. Yeah. Yep. And then just, which is why I love merge so much. I feel like a lot of the roadblocks people hit is just because they haven't, they haven't spent the time to prepare beforehand. They mm-hmm. haven't, they've thought like, maybe they thought living together was going to help them prepare beforehand. And that's the extent of it. Yeah. Um, which actually, you know, we know from statistics is the opposite, mm-hmm. but, um, it just, they haven't, they haven't done the work ahead of time. They don't know that the, that we talk about bullets flying. They don't know that the war is coming. They mm-hmm. don't know that it's going to get hard. And so, um, so whenever it does, it's, it just freaks people out, yeah. um, which I understand. So, yeah, I think against that too, I think we, it's worth mentioning that people are not married in a vacuum. So we live in a society that is constantly pushing messages toward us. Right. So we, we have, we're formed by the house and the example that we see our parents make, but then we're also formed that marriage of your parents took place also in a context. Mm -hmm. And that context is constantly saying, Hey, you got to be happy all the time. It's the Hollywood picture of, of these, these marriages and happily ever after in the Cinderella story. And, and these Mm -hmm. types, which is always interesting to me that the Cinderella story ends they're not even married yet. You know, they, they're the last part is their, uh, their marriage, I think is like their wedding. And so there's the glorification of the wedding. There's right. the glorification of these social events that are tweetable and you can mm-hmm. throw up on Instagram. But the reality of what, of, of the day in and day out is not given a fair airing by our culture. And so right. when people hit that roadblock, 
then they've also been formed in those ways where it's like, uh, it's not supposed to be like this. That's, I feel like, yes, I feel like that's like a resounding theme of our culture is like, it shouldn't be this hard. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. why? Yeah. Why wouldn't yeah. it be that hard? Who told you <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. Anything, we're, anything we're, good is hard. Yeah. yeah we always tell our couples, it's like the, the only promise about marriage in the entire Bible is not that you'll be happy, the number of kids mm-hmm. you'll have, the number of times a week you'll have sex, the number of uh, the amount of money you'll make, all that, the only promise is 1 Corinthians 7.28, which is kind of miserable sounding, but it, <laughs> it normalizes the fact that every couple is going to have some trouble. It says, but if you do marry, it says you have not sinned, but it goes on to say, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. Mm-hmm. And so we just need to know that, that it doesn't mean you're abnormal or you're weird or you're different. You're just like everyone else yeah. if you struggle. Mm-hmm. Even even Scott Kadersha, you know, I'm a mm-hmm. marriage staffer. 11 years, Todd Wagner, our lead pastor, you know, even JP, these got all of us, we all struggle mm-hmm. in our marriages mm-hmm. at times mm-hmm. because of the fact that we're bringing sin in and we're marrying another sinner. Yep. Yep. Even though we're saved, even though the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us, we have God's word, we have God's people, we're still going to struggle. And so to think anything else would be uh, a misrepresentation or misunderstanding of what marriage is. Totally. Yeah. Totally. What are some of the other ones that, that you guys think about that you see consistently? I mean, consistently, consistently, and this is, I mean, this is for sure for marriage, but I feel like in life in general, um, just communication and conflict resolution mm-hmm. between any two humans is mm-hmm. always going to be a roadblock, um, it seems. And so I don't know if there's, I think we have a, a slide about this we too, do, but, yeah. um, but I feel like the, from, from scripture where we see this happening, the best place you can find it is just James 4, 1, and it says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So it's just this idea of you're, you're not opening your mouth, you're not sharing with one another, you're not speaking the truth to one another, you're, there's a lot of mind reading going on. You can find yourself, it, because of this like promise that we see in Scripture, you can find yourself usually in one of four of these negative communication patterns. And so I think there's a, a there's a there's a handout yeah and yeah. I'll, I'll mention that now if you're if you weren't on the webinar at the beginning of the broadcast you should see a handout a tab on your control panel and there is a PDF document titled communication and w e n i or Winnie if you want to download that that's that's uh, what Sarah's looking at right now so what Sarah why don't you walk us through those totally. I prefer to call it weenie weenie, <laughs> weenie okay weenie. sorry let's just keep it on the marriage let's don't, keep it on the- don't be a weenie <laughs> or, yeah, or the or the seventh grade boy like <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. So um, we tend to drift toward one of these four in, in, in your personality, but like, make no mistake, you can be, you can be all, all of them, all, them. all, yeah, of, yeah, all yeah. four yeah. of these. Um, but so W is just withdrawal, which is basically an unwillingness to get in or stay in important discussions. And so this can either be sort of like a meek attitude of just like, oh no, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And even though you've just had your feelings demolished, yep. your husband's just walked all over you and you're like, okay, no big deal. I'm going to brush that under the rug. So it can look like that. Or there, it can also be just this passive aggressiveness too of just, you're kind of quietly loading a relational shotgun, if you will. You're mm-hmm. just like, I'm not, we're not going to address that, but I will be keeping it back here for later. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, that's another way I've seen withdrawal, yep. uh, hang out. So basically just an avoidance of conflict in general. Um, E is for escalate. And it's basically a negative response to one another where the ante is just continually up. So typically, typically in harshness or volume. So it's just someone raises their voice and the next person just feels that need to save face and to stay on top. So they escalate and they meet them a little bit louder or they say something that stings a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And it just, 
I mean, it literally. That's the you punch me, I'm going to punch you back. Yes, yeah, harder. Yeah, harder. Type yeah. thing. And so yeah. it's just um, so unproductive and so painful. Um, or, or that one comes out a lot of times. Like for, for us in our marriage, it starts off as, hey, what time are you going to be home for dinner? Mm-hmm. Kristen might ask me that. And, and so automatically I assume that she's saying, are you going to be late again and prioritize your job over over our family. And so instead of responding back in a kind way, I said, well, if you hadn't made me stay late this morning, then I probably would be able to get home at time. And then oh, and she yeah. responds yeah. back. And before we know it, we're talking about how much we hate each other's families. Who's <laughs> getting the kids one week, right? So that, that's an exaggeration. The worst. That yeah, little yeah, bit yeah. louder now song is now going through my head a little bit louder. <laughs> no. You don't want to do that. No. When, you, when you hear that song playing in your head, you, t- you turn that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like the, the this is like a song thing today. I don't. Today. I'm not even musical. I don't hear on these we'll, we'll make a we'll make a Spotify playlist. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, so the end of Winnie is just to negatively interpret, and this one is so subtle. And I think I whenever I walk through couples with this, or whenever it was walked through with me, it's like just a light bulb turns on. You're like, I do do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically, it's just where you believe the motive of the other person is more negative than it's really the case. And so a good example of this is. A husband said, they're talking about holiday plans and a husband says, you know, I can't afford to, we can't, I don't think we can afford to go on, uh, to go see your parents mm-hmm. this, this, uh, this Christmas. Mm-hmm. He's thinking of the fact that they're saving up for a big car or they are, um, just basically just needing to be tight on cash. Mm-hmm. But the woman who just struggles with negative interpretation thinks he hates my family. Mm-hmm. That's what I just heard. And, um, and so then you can go off on that trail when he's like, I love your family. I just don't think we literally yeah. have cash available. Yeah. And so um, we fall into that when we just don't believe the best about our spouse and we don't think that they have our back and they don't think that we're on the same team. And we think that they're just, you can have a sort of a victimized uh, disposition, I think, mm-hmm. with negative negative interpretation. And this last one is just invalidate. And it's to subtly or it's just subtle or indirect put downs, thoughts. Uh, you can put down the thoughts and feelings or the character of your spouse. And so you come to your spouse and you say, this really hurt my feelings at work today, or this happened. And it's just really bothering me. And the, it's the other, well, that's dumb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's weird. That happens to me literally every that day. One, yeah. yeah. That's the one you're good at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm good at all of these, yeah. brother. It yeah. just makes it to where it's like, Oh, I guess the conversation's over. Yeah. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? It yeah. just, it, it, it makes you feel like I'm that you have no place feeling. Yeah. It totally it's invalidates cool. your yeah. emotion and what you've experienced yes. as a person. Yeah. And so yeah. it's just, where do you go from there? Yeah. And all of these things, it's kind of like that. And so it's, like I said, it's, it's helpful. I do think to see like, okay, which one of these do I gravitate toward more? Mm-hmm. But like I said, I mean, you can rock all four. I've done it. All of the weenie. Yeah. <laughs> what would you add as far as roadblocks in marriage? Yes. About just one other thought on communication. I mean, that that's, that's the deal. Like with, if with couples that we see around here, my friend, John says as well, that if you love Jesus, both of you, and you learn how to communicate in conflict, chances are you're going to do fine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're going to have uh, every day is going to be, a piece of cake, but, but that's it. Like we, you've got to learn how to communicate in conflict. Mm. If you are a guy who's trying to kill it in the, in the work world, you're going to try to make a lot of sales, make money. If you are a baseball player, you want a high batting average, or you want to get a lot of home runs or strike out a lot of folks in marriage. If you want to succeed, love Jesus, pursue Jesus and learn how to communicate in conflict. Mm. Well, mm. and so if you don't know how to do that, you know, we'll talk about reengage again at the end. Reengage would be a great place. There's a book called Lasting Promise by Scott Stanley. That's an excellent book that helps mm-hmm. figure out communication and conflict. Uh, there's a bunch of talks that you can find online at Watermark that 
that are about communication and conflict. That that's the thing you've got to learn how mm-hmm. to do that well. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the other piece is, is just to be humble. You know, that is uh, incredibly difficult because I want to be right and I want to selfishness put mm-hmm. my needs first. Mm-hmm. And so couples that struggle, they're not teachable. They're not humble. They want to win. And so we think the goal of communication is to get my point across and to make sure that I'm, I'm understood. That's part of it is to get your, you know, to communicate. But mm-hmm. the other side is listening and being teachable and just shutting up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's James 1.19, which I often say it's the, it's the simplest verse to understand in theory and memorize and maybe the most complex and difficult to yeah. apply mm-hmm. that I want to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Uh, I said hangry, which is when you're hungry and angry. <laughs> That's a real thing. Like, that yeah. is a, that is a, is a real thing. That's a slip there. I meant angry. Uh, we, we're quick to get angry, and we, we need to be slow to become angry. And, and then, you know, the Philippians 2, 3, and 4 of putting my spouse's mm-hmm. needs before my own. When I elevate what Scott wants, it's one, it's the opposite of oneness. It's selfishness. We want to move towards oneness, not selfishness. And so one of the biggest roadblocks is when couples just say, I want mine and I'm going to win mm-hmm. and I'm not going to give. I'm not going to put my spouse's needs first. Uh, you know, one more. There's so many more. I can they have to shut me up. You mm-hmm. know, it's just pornography and just our over-sexualized culture. I mean, it breaks, breaks my heart. Just some of the stuff that we see so often around here. Pornography, partly it flows out of this selfishness that we all, that I want to get mine and I want to please myself and not mm. worry about marriage. I don't want to honor God. I don't want to honor my spouse. I just want to please myself. Mm. And so it's selfishness. And, and I, t- you know, more and more we talk about this some, but I think the severity of it is really starting to hit me now, mm. you know, 11 years into this is this is not just a guy's issue. This is a, a women's issue as well. You know, so I, I could I could literally be looking on, on my phone and looking at porn right now. And the other three of you right now would not know. Mm-hmm. Nobody listening would know. Mm-hmm. It's affordable. It's available. It's mm-hmm. anonymous. And it's killing our relationships. It's killing marriage. Uh, most couples that we see in Reengage have uh, have part of this. This is part of the, their story for either the husband and or the wife. Mm. We see it in our kids, you know, increasingly they're finding it at a younger and younger age. And it's a roadblock to relationships. It's a roadblock to intimacy with Christ. And, and it's an absolute roadblock to oneness in marriage. Yeah. And it's and it's increasingly normalized yeah. by our by our culture. I mean, just prior to the going live here, we were talking about a standard mainline magazine for teenagers giving them instruction on how to have deviant, basically deviant sex yeah. before you yeah. know, before, but not even mentioning as marriage as teenagers. Yeah, as teenagers. Marriage have to do with it? yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's a, look, that's only going to get worse. And I, I would say too, that this sin expression can be, and is a uniquely like a soul killer. There's a numbness that, that a lot of times people who are overcoming this expression of sin in their lives have to deal with uh, to reconnect in substantial ways with an actual person. And so, so yeah, these are, are dropping bombs in marriages for sure. Yeah, so. Shout out to it. We've got an incredible ministry at Watermark called Regeneration Recovery. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can Google Regen Recovery. You can find them at Watermark and other churches. Celebrate Recovery is a, is a very like-minded ministry. Mm-hmm. Would be a great. So if you are married, if you're thinking about marriage, one of the, the best ways you can love your spouse or your future spouse and honor God is to deal with any any addiction yeah. or hurt yeah. or habit you have, but specifically just in this context of, of dealing with pornography. Yeah. Yeah.
so the, you, we talk about roadblocks and everybody hits them. I mean, like I said, that when we say two people are sinners, that's not just like a, a an easy way to gloss over the fact that pe- that we do some bad things every once in a while. You know, we're we're fundamentally like disordered away from God um, apart from Christ. And and I think when when people um, place their faith in Jesus and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit begins to well he indwells them but then he begins to empower them to to come back toward god and also one another and so when but that process is not clean as we've talked about thus far i mean this is uh, when we say sin we're talking about the realities of people's heart desires that are that in those moments of conflict with your spouse seek to pull out any of those four, you know, winny things, withdraw escalation, negative interpret. I'm going to negative interpret what you're saying. I'm going to, I'm going to invalidate you because I want my own. Right. And, and then Scott, like you, like you said a second ago, this really takes and the, the Edridges who, who wrote love and respect call this the crazy cycle, right? It takes someone, it takes someone to, to recognize, Hey, we're in this pattern of not coming toward one another. We're, we're deepening the divide. We're, we're not, the wheels are coming off and there's this crazy cycle where it just feels like you're in a tornado and, and it's, it starts to feel like it's totally out of control. So talk to us about, for the couple that's listening to us right now, that's in that spot. What's that first step they take? How do they, how do you respond when you feel like the wheels are coming off in your marriage? Yeah. Give us some hope. It's been a little bit of a downer. Not going to lie. This, uh... this last 10 minutes have been... There's some power in Jesus. So, uh, <laughs> so Scott has his Bible open. So thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, you just that. So, I mean, good segue. So, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, it really has become more like Christ, right? That that's mm-hmm. the the wheels are coming off. What's the first step? <laughs> this is this is steps. You know, A through Z. It's you know, mm-hmm. one through infinity is to become more and more like Jesus. Which, again, easy to say and. You know, maybe a little bit easier to understand, very, very difficult to apply. But, you know, I'm consistently sending others and even more consistently sending myself to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. So it's not just put the needs of the other person before my own. Hey, great. What does that look like? How do I do it? Well, I want to become more and more and more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I read about Jesus. I, I understand more of who he is, what he's done. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is an amazing picture of that selfless, sacrificial humility that's required in marriage. Now, I'm not going to wait for my spouse to go first. That would be a mistake to sit there and expect them to go first and to change. I'm going to do everything that I can and and, uh, let the Spirit work in me and on me. And Lord, make me become more like Christ. Make me more humble. That's a great thing. That's not a downer. That's the Mm -hmm. the opposite of it. Well, that in and of itself is Christ-like, right? He did not wait for us to become, to become good enough for him to rescue us. He came down and he did the work and, you know, it says while we were still sinners, he Mm -hmm. died for us. And so I think that's that in and of itself is saying, I'll go first. I will do the legwork of making this better. That in and of itself is Christ-like. Yeah. And I can't do it on my own. So it's one has become Mm -hmm. like Christ. It's bringing others. And man, there's like this pride of, I don't want others to know that I, that I can't do it. You know, we, we joked about this Mm -hmm. as a staff a couple of days ago. The, the phrase we always say is I got this, I got this. And that's just a prideful thing. It's like, I don't have it. So I want to bring others in. I want to, Say, Jesus, you've got this, and I need others to come around me and help me. And so 
uh, community, friends, whatever it might be, just widening that circle is uh, a phrase that we use, and it's a biblical uh, phrase that we would say is, you know, Matthew 18, as we widen the circle, we bring others in to become more and more like Christ, to help us grow. It, it's all the things that we just talked about. It's communicating, it's listening, it's showing empathy. Uh, and, and it's this just great thing called forgiveness. It's the F word that we don't mm-hmm. like to do. We don't like to think about. <laughs> right? Don't but, say the F word. Yeah, but, but we forgive, not because we like to or because we want to, but because that's what we're called to do as followers of Christ. So it's Ephesians 4.32. It's Colossians 3.13. It's the the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, 21 through 35 of uh, of learning how to forgive in the same way that we're forgiven. That, mm-hmm. That's that's A through Z. Become like Christ and do what God's word says. Mm, yeah. I think too, when there is a, a recognition when the wheels are coming off that whatever you're doing, which most of the time are these roadblock and, and negative things that we in our in our flesh apart from the spirit are just exercising what we want. There is a recognition of of I, this is not working. Mm-hmm. So there's a pragmatism about it where I think at some point you people can just be exhausted and, and like they're exasperated by the whole thing. And I think that in typically when people are in those tension points, then it's a fork in the road. You can either keep doing what you're doing. Yep. So like Wagner says, I'm totally screwed up. But like Wagner says, if you like what you've helped me out, Scott, you like, you like what you got, keep doing what you're doing. But if you keep doing what you're doing, you're not going to like what you got. Yeah. And that I think that's very true. Like, hey, if you keep doing this, you're going to just deepen further, deepen. And I think that there is that moment, though, that the spirit brings about in us where it becomes where we don't see our spouse as the enemy anymore. And we recognize that there's an enemy who is after both of us. Mm -hmm. And we're able to see that. And then are able to connect with our spouse in in humble ways where we, we like to use this phrase of, hey, I'm going to stop jumping into your circle over there and trying to change you because I, look, we all make terrible Holy Spirits. We're horrible at that. But God has called us to focus on ourselves. And so there's that whole idea of, hey, draw a circle around yourself and do the best you can to cooperate with the Spirit to change the person inside that circle, which is you. And so there is that element of of, uh, of humility that comes with that recognition of, of, of saying, hey, I'm going to work on me and, and, uh, and I'm going to trust the, the spirit inside of you that he's going to change you. Sylvia, what do you got? Yeah, for here's us? a question. So thinking about drawing the circle around yourself, very biblical, very wise. So how do you communicate if you feel like something is off in the marriage where you want to do it humbly and you want to do it where you're, you're looking at the log in your own eye. Um, and so how, how would you guys recommend bringing that up in marriage where one person you maybe just kind of like, Hey, it's going fine, but you really want to bring something up, but you don't know how to do that humbly. So I'd probably write a sticky note and put it on her pillow <laughs> and leave in the morning. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. So that, that's good. So uh, I, I give two thoughts there. One is that I think the, the role of community can play a big role. And so others, it might not be me continually nagging or persisting. If Kristen, I, I think, needs to change, so that's where community can play a role. So I'm not working by myself. They can either sharpen me or they can help sharpen my wife or both of the above. The other is, is that there should be a level because we are emotionally one with each other and because there's a safety within marriage that I should be able to tell my wife anything and everything. There shouldn't be anything off limits. So I'm going to work on myself. 
while I'm doing that. And it makes it a lot easier to communicate that to someone else. If I'm doing some work as well, mm -hmm. I should be able to say, Hey, here's an area in, in your life, in our marriage, where I don't think you're honoring God. And here's some examples. Here's what God's word would say. Here's what it looks like in our marriage. Mm -hmm. We absolutely should be able to do that within marriage, within community and friendships. And we're so afraid to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it is really important to not just to say the right thing. You have to say the right thing in the right way mm -hmm. and at the right time. So there's an art form to all of this. I mean, because my wife may be 100 percent right about something. But because it's communicated to me in a certain way, that, that makes it a lot more difficult for me to hear what she's saying and vice versa. I mean, it's the same thing with me communicating with her. Yeah. So there's a way to be like, hey, I'm timing wise. I can table that for a few hours. And then when I do bring it up, bring it up in such a way that is is restorative and not nagging or you need to change or like that's not helpful. So what, like what's an example of a time that's not a good time to bring that up with Margaret? Well, I think it totally depends on uh, what kind of day we've had. Mm -hmm. If the boys have been like on her ever loving nerves all day long, then I'm probably going to be like, hey, I, I can, that can wait until tomorrow morning or even this weekend, depending on the severity of it to just be like, hey, I've been noticing something or and, and likewise, she with me, if I had a long day and I'm exhausted and I just don't have the emotional energy to have that conversation, then a lot of it's just knowing your spouse to be able to say, okay, no. This, the, you know, this can wait. Yep. Yeah, the witching hour is what we call that yeah. six to nine, you know, six to eight <laughs> yeah, yeah. With, with young kids. Yeah. Not uh, even time. Yeah. Right? No, no, so no, 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 no. That's no. what First yeah. Peter 3, 7, husband, live with your wife in an understanding way. Yep. Mm. That if you see that thing, this, there are good times to share it and not so good times. Yep. yep. Well, we've got about five minutes left. So, Sarah, why don't you walk us through the first two of these common things that are elements in, in all healthy, thriving marriages very quickly. And then Scott, you can take the other two. There's four of them that we have prepped for you and then we'll tie it up. So I feel like one of the, the biggest ones, and it's sort of, I mean, these may not be in the same order that y'all have them on your sheet, but um, just that couples who get well are committed. They're just ruthlessly committed to their marriage. They have, I mean, they know it's that statement of, I am not going anywhere. And so we often use the picture of you're in a room with a lot of open doors. And so those doors could be an affair, a physical or emotional affair, or someone gets work, you know, getting obsessed with work or uh, just f figuring out a way to not invest and live together, but just spending all your energy elsewhere. And just all these things that are escapes for your marriage or ways that you could get out. And you have decided, you're meant, again, this is just a picture, you've decided to close all of the doors. I am not going anywhere. And you've taken divorce off the table. It's not something that is ever brought up, not something that is joked about. Um, or used just as a know. threat. Or yeah. used yeah. as a threat. It is just, that's not a thing. That mm -hmm. is not a thing for mm -hmm. us. Yep. Um, and so that's a big one. The biggest one that I've seen almost in, in our marriage is just the power of community. It's just that you're fully known by other people. And so here at Watermark, that looks like you're in a community group or a foundation group. Other other places that um, that looks like a home group or whatever it is you have at your church. Or if it's just you've committed, you know this couple that you love and you're going to walk through life with them and you're going to share all those things. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of scripture that points to that. This is kind of a, a newish idea for a lot of people and it's countercultural for sure, but so much scripture. So Hebrews 10, 24 says, spur one another on to love and good deeds. First Thessalonians 5.14 is just encourage, admonish, be patient, and help each other. Mm. And then my favorite is just James 5.16. So it's confess your sins to one another, pray for each other, and you will be healed. Just what a promise that mm. is. So mm. if you're and uh, yeah, if you're fully known by people, you're gonna get the help that you need. But you're also not gonna freak out when you do struggle because you're gonna know that it's normal and that yeah, everyone there's people else, walking with you. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so you're not gonna see yourself as 
um, just we use the phrase terminally unique mm-hmm. around here. Mm-hmm. Just like this is only us that struggle with this, and it's going to kill us. And yep. um, that's not that's not a thing for couples who are in community. It's good. Yeah. So my friend named John, I mentioned him before. These are this is a list of four characteristics. They all begin with the letter C of seeing couples over and over and over. The couples that do well will do these four things. The ones who tend to struggle are, are you know lacking or missing out, and one or maybe all four of these. And so uh, Sarah said they're committed. They have a, a need and understanding of the, uh, of community. The third is that this circle idea that we just talked about a few mm-hmm. minutes ago that. I'm not going to worry about the the speck in someone else's eye. I'm going to deal with the log in my own eye. And so I see myself as the biggest problem in my marriage. And so I'm going to draw that circle around myself. And then the fourth, this is uh, the fourth one we're sharing. The most important one is that I'm going to draw closer to Christ. Mm. And so I'm going to realize, as John 15, 5 says, that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. nothing. Yeah. And so I'm going to choose to abide. I'm going to do everything for the glory of God. And so there's a renewed spiritual vitality that says I need Jesus front and center mm. in my life and in my marriage. Yeah, that's so good. Well, we wanted to point you all to some resources. We talked about some of them at the beginning of it. But like I said, the Merge Premarital Ministry, there's a, a website there you can go to. Reengage, which is our marriage enrichment program, uh, is, is every Wednesday night at 630 here at the Dallas campus. And then we also, if you're at another church and you're thinking like, man, I, how can we deeper equip the church that I'm uh, go to and a part of? Then we host a marriage ministry training conference every year. And that website is there as well. Scott, Sarah. Sylvia, thanks everybody for your time and thank you for your time today. I would just leave us with this uh, that's just echoing what Scott said, and that is the first and really the A to Z in all of this is we have got to take the time to invest in our primary relationship, which is with Jesus Christ. There is no human being that you will ever relate to that will ever fulfill you in the way that Jesus can. You were created in his image to experience an intimate relationship with him. And if you try to find that somewhere else, it will not work. I don't care how, how much work you put into it. So go be with Jesus today. He is going to transform you into his likeness through his spirit, and you will be the type of person who can have a successful marriage. So join us next time. Our next webinar is going to be August the 11th with Christian author and apologist, Greg Kogel. He wrote a book called Tactics, and we're going to, we're looking forward to that. But Until then, we'll see you guys next time, and y'all have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the Equipping Webinar, connecting discipleship, theology, and apologetics to everyday life.